Hello, everybody, and welcome to God Quest. I'm your host, Miles Young. We're going to have a good time today. We're going to talk about the future. So let's get on this God Quest together. I am so happy that you are with us on, on God Quest today. We've been having a great time discussing, interviewing books that I've read, things that are influencing me on this quest to find the will of God and what he's doing in the earth today. And I wanted to share with you some things that have been on my heart the last few weeks. I look at the challenges that we face. I look at the generations my children and now my grandchildren are facing. And in all honesty, I see a lot of questions. I see a lot of challenges and Honestly, I'm not quite sure how we navigate through all of them because some of them I don't even understand. I don't know where AI goes. I don't know what politically happens. I have no crystal ball that I can touch and look into. But I do have this assurance that God is with me. And no matter what I face, God is going to be with us. So this doesn't change our purpose. No matter what the changes are, no matter what the challenges are, we have a purpose. We are the people of God. So let's talk about the future. I want to ask you a question. How committed are you to the long game? How committed are you to the long game? The long game is the idea that I'm looking past the immediate, I'm looking past the present, and I'm making decisions not based upon how I feel today, not based upon what I'm encountering so much today, but the decisions and choices I'm making have to do with further out, maybe even beyond me. And this is why it's a challenge. God's kingdom is supposed to be cross-generational. What do I mean by that? This thing is for you and your children and your children's children. The Bible said that his truth endureth for all generations. God never intended that his kingdom that shined into your life, this glorious gospel that shined into your home, God never intended it to end with you. He intended for this gospel to be handed to your children and to your children's children. God never intended for churches to have uh, a 40-year run or a 25-year run that are just magnificent and then dwindle down to nothing. How many great churches have we seen arise and then fall by the wayside? How many ministries have we seen that shine for a moment, but then with the next generation, they pass? That's not the will of God. God intends for this kingdom to go from generation to generation, from me to my children to my grandchildren. This is the long game. In the political world, it is often said that uh, related to the long game is, is I've heard it said that uh, America plays uh, the short game. We have agendas based off of the current administration. Uh, we have new people that run for office every four years, and, and if, they, if they do a good job and convince enough people, they, they may be in office for eight years, and that is the agenda. But I've often heard it said that Speaking of China, they don't run an agenda for four years. 
they run a hundred years agenda. Long-term thinking coming out of old empires and, and old leadership. And meanwhile, sometimes we can get caught in looking at the present, looking at the immediate. Maybe it's because as Americans, we're so used to having everything now, and we've had we've had a quick run to success comparing the United States to the bigger uh, or the longer nations. Some some have been around for hundreds and hundreds of years, and and uh, I was just in Japan two weeks ago, and and one of the things they talk about is their culture has been sustained by one leading system for thousand years. I, I don't know if that's true or not. I heard that while I was there. But I watch as sometimes in the church, Pentecostal churches specifically, we're so experiential and we're so focused on, let's get it done now. We're waiting for a rapture, the up call. And I'm all for that. I'm all for the experiential. I, I do believe in the rapture of the church. But understand, we're 2,000 years since Calvary. We're 2,000 years since Pentecost. And Jesus said, occupy till I come. It's not enough just to have an experience with God and then wait for the rapture. We have to buy into the long game. I don't know how long the Lord's going to tarry. He could come tonight. I believe in the, in, uh, the, the soon, the imminent return of Jesus Christ. He could come tonight, but if he doesn't, what? If he waits 40 more years, 40 years, I would be 95 probably not going to be pastoring the church I pastor at 95. God help the people if I'm pastoring at 95. That's not the will of God. So I've got to begin to think long haul, long term. I've got to play the long game. We look around, many denominal systems of Christianity have had a long game in mind, not far from here on Highway 50 on the lake shore of Lake Tahoe. There's Camp Galilee, which is owned by the Episcopal Church that was purchased in 1920. Here we are 103 years later, and no telling what the value of that property is. Can you imagine if, if we would have been able to purchase that property? Now, I know we're late bloomers since Azusa Street and so on. I've heard all the, I've heard all the language. But somewhere, the apostolic church has got to begin to think the long game. We've got to make investments that are beyond us. I pray that the rapture of the church is soon. I look for the soon return uh, of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But if he does not come, I want to be found working. I want to live like he could come tonight, but I want to work like he's not coming for another hundred years. I want to be committed to the long game. What are you doing that's going to outlive you. Jesus was a long-term leader. Redemption, nobody wanted redemption for mankind more than God, right? But he waits 4,000 years before he comes. And then he comes to earth and he doesn't, he doesn't go to work until 30 years. He was never in a rush he was focused on his purpose. He did nothing outside the will of God. He did nothing outside of the plan and purpose and will of God. He set his face. He endured. 
endured the cross, despised the shame. There was a purpose. He was he he was investing in what would come later. And one 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 of the the most powerful moments of his passion was when he looked at those that were in the immediate that were crucifying him and persecuting him and he looked at the heavens and said father forgive them for they know not what they do looking at the immediate he made a statement based off of the long game he had come to redeem humanity and in the immediate it was crazy in the immediate they were killing him they were stripping him crown of thorns nails spear in the immediate it was hellish but he made choices that would outlast him. This is what good leadership does. It doesn't base its decisions off of all of the things that we're facing in the present. Yeah, there are times we have to act and react. That's part of leadership. There's things that we have to do on the fly. But anytime our decision hinders the ultimate purpose, this is why goal setting is so important. But it can't be goal setting just for a day or a week or a month. We need to buy into the long game. Last week, I was in, I was in Japan, I mentioned, and then I flew from, from Japan, I flew to uh, Israel, and then we drove from Tel Aviv to Beersheba, uh, Beersheba and then down the Negev to Aqaba, Jordan, and then headed up uh, to Petra. And after leaving Petra, we, we went to Mount Nebo. And it was one of the most poignant moments I've ever experienced in all of my travels is standing and looking off of the top of Mount Nebo at the promised land with the understanding that this is where Moses died and was buried. He got a vision of the promised land. God took him to the most spectacular, if you ever get a chance to go to Jordan and go to Mount Nebo, it's worth whatever flight you've got to get to to get there, to look across and see what Moses saw. Standing there, tears were in my eyes, and as as it came to me, as I thought, what's it like to lead people out of slavery, to lead them through the Red Sea, to watch the waters roll back and then fold back on top of your enemies, and then to watch God provide and lead people through the wilderness for 40 years and then get to the very edge of the fulfillment of everything you've been preaching and talking about and literally leading people to. And then God says, sorry, Mo, you're not going in. And he takes the breath of life from Moses and somewhere on that mountain, he is buried. His body's never been found. There's no tomb to mark it. And as I stood on the wall, looking across into the promised land from Mount Nebo, it hit me. That's the way it is for every leader. Because we never really get to fully participate in the dreams and visions that God gave us. The things that come into our life that are the long game, we never really get to participate in them. David is another example. He came to my mind as I stood on Mount Nebo. As I thought of David, how he had this desire to build the house of God. The tabernacle of David was a wonderful thing, but he had this desire that 
there needs to be a permanent dwelling place. And, and he had this plan. He had this blueprint. He, 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 he would gather, begin to gather things together. And then God says, David, you're not going to be the one to build it. You're a man of blood. You, you've, got, you've got issues that, sorry, it's not going to happen. Everything he saw, he got like Moses, he got a vision of this house of God. And 1 Chronicles chapter 29 and verse 1, David goes to the congregation and he tells them, he says, Solomon, my son, who God alone has chosen, is young, the King James says, tender. That word can be rendered inexperienced. God has chosen my young son, Solomon, who has not experienced everything I've experienced. He's not experienced the battles and the running and the fighting and the giant killing. He's not experienced all of that. But for some reason, God has chosen him instead of me, David says. And then he makes a statement that is kind of where leaders need to pay attention is he says, and it's a great work. This building of the palace for God, he said, it's not for man, but it's for God. It's a great work. So the challenges, how do you build God a house? How, how do you do this? And how do you follow the icon that David was? But God chose this young and tender inexperienced to do a great challenging work. And David says, you got to remember, it's not about us. It's about God. You and I know the greatness of that temple and the magnitude with which it was built. It was built by a young, inexperienced man. If you and I were to really honestly look back over our life of how God has, has worked, even the most successful among us, if you would have looked at their life in the short term, how many great men of God, how many great church leaders in the pulpit and in the pew, how many incredible people had we gone back and looked at their life in the young and tender moments when they were young and inexperienced? I wonder if we would really have had a clue that that man or that woman is going to be incredible. Probably wouldn't have. I, I know stories of great men and women that if you were to roll back pre-leadership and pre-being well-known, even their conversion, the life they came out of was, was something that would just boggle your mind to know that, you mean God could use that person? That's the danger of focusing as a pastor, a youth pastor, a Sunday school teacher on the present condition of that child or that young person or even that new convert, because you can look at them and say, oh man, they'll never make it. They'll never make it. When in reality, that may be the very one that does an incredible work. I, I, I could go on talking about people that I have watched God radically change their life. And I'll use the analogy of a Solomon who's young and tender and inexperienced faced with a great challenge. But God seems to work this way. 
But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be small among the thousands, yet out of thee, he could have chosen anyone, but out of little bitty Bethlehem. What, what about this little minuscule country named Israel that the whole world seems to be against, but yet that little insignificant? What about a little virgin named Mary? What about a little young Samuel? What about only a little boy named David? This is the way God seems to work. Lest we forget the great apostle Peter, the guy with the keys to the kingdom, had you looked at his young faith, had you looked at his tender, inexperienced faith, you would see a man ready to fight. You would see a man cursing. You would see a man taking his clothes off and jumping into the water. You would see a man that, that had prejudices against the Gentiles. You would see a man that even even after God began to use him, he had personal struggles and had to be rebuked by the Apostle Paul. If you focus on the young, the inexperienced, you focus on the inadequacies, you, you focus on the mistakes, you focus on the failures, you'll never, you'll never see greatness. But our God is committed to the long game. Mercy endureth forever. He makes his mercy new every morning. This truth endures to every generation. This gospel was for you and your children and your children's children. The curse of leadership is that in the long game, we may never really get to see the greatness of what it becomes. As I stood on that mountain in Mount Nebo and I looked down thinking about Moses and then my mind went to David, it dawned on me, I, I, I've given birth to a son and a daughter. And my son and his wife have given birth to a granddaughter, Echo, and then another one on the way. I'm 55 years old. 15 years from now, I'll be 70. Now that's hard to believe. My granddaughter will be probably getting her driver's license. I'll be 70. I don't want to be the one riding with her at 70. And at 70, she probably doesn't want me. She probably doesn't want me riding with her either. I probably will never get to see the 30 and 40-year-old Echo. I'll never see that. The chances are. What will she do for God? What will she, what visions, what great schemes, what wonderful accomplishments? My grandfather was a missionary, a church planner. They poured into their family and into the work of God. And now Curtis and Lenny Young, and then my mom and dad, and then me, they never got to see their great grandchild serve as a missionary in Mexico. But they played a long game. They poured this gospel into the next generation. And this is the way the kingdom works, is that we all will stand upon a precipice and get a little glimpse, get a vision, may not really ever get to fully participate. But what did David do? David recognizing, I'm not going to get the chance, 
David never stepped into that temple that Solomon built. David planned it. He had the blueprints. But here's what I like about David. David said, I'm going to do what I can. I'm going to pull every string I've got. I'm going to connect with, with Hiram. I'm going to connect with all of these kings and every, everything I've done. I'm going to be pulling for the cedars of Lebanon. I'm going to be helping range get the gold from Ophir. We're going to get the silver out of the mines. We're going to, we're going to go to work, and we're going to gather and build the supplies for what I will never get to participate in. I'm going to do everything I can to be a part of the long game. Can I challenge every leader? Invest in the future. Every saint of God, you are building a church that does not need to die with you. Bring somebody alongside of you. Pour your gifts. Pour yourself into the work of God. I'm 55 years old. I can't play the piano like these kids are today. They blow my mind. Sure, I know I know the old songs, and, and I could show them a thing or two, but I'm not going to hold on to my little spot at the keyboard at the expense of a generation coming behind me. It's like a relay. That runner stands waiting, looking forward with his hand out, waiting, anticipating the runner previous running and placing in his hands. And for a moment, they may run together. But at some point, that first runner stops and fades away while the next runner that runner, again, at some point will have to hand that baton to another waiting. But the beauty is, is when the race is over, not one wins. They all win. Paul said, one plants, one waters, God gives the increase. I want to challenge you in this God quest, in your church, your family, your ministry. Invest in the long game. Make up your mind. I'm not focusing on the immediate. I'm going to lift my eyes a little bit. I'm going to look at what God is calling me to and what is God calling his kingdom toward and building his kingdom toward. That's what I want to be involved in. And if I never get to see the great things in actuality, maybe they come to my children. Maybe they come to my grandchildren. Maybe the seed I sow for missions today, I, I never get to step in that country, but maybe that dollar I gave, or maybe that hundred dollars I gave, or maybe that Bible study I taught to that immigrant becomes the seed for something I may, ne I may never go to those distant shores. I may never walk in. I may never know their name, but I made a difference in the long game. I challenge you, get on this God quest. It's a wide world of wonder. And God is calling you to more than your little immediate. He's calling you to a great world, a great kingdom, but it's a long game. It's going to take day after day. I'm glad you came and joined us today in this, this podcast. So tell your friends, tell your neighbors, and give thought to how you can play the long game. God bless you. We'll see you next week. 